We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. By his wounds, we are healed. I'd ask you to turn again with me to Romans chapter 5, the New Testament lesson assigned for this Sunday. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die, but... God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The word of the Lord. It is amazing to me as I look back on the better part of six decades of life how very often God has had a much better plan than the plan... I had made for any situation. I have reluctantly come to learn that God always has a better plan than mine for everything. In fact, God has a better plan for every last thing in our existence than any human plan will ever come up with. And he leaves us so many clues throughout his word to finding this perspective that he desires for us to share with him. That he has a better plan. That he has the best plan. That he has the perfect plan. And his timing in implementing that plan is flawless. For instance, look back again for a moment at these verses from Romans 5. What do you notice about the construction of the first phrase, since we have been justified through faith? It is a very consistent and frequent construction, a presentation point in the New Testament when speaking about our salvation. Look at the verb form very carefully. It is past tense. It is also passive voice. Through the very syntax, the grammar of the words that are in front of us, God is telling us something especially important that he hopes would be obvious to us. That every single human being, every human soul that will ever stand before God as righteous, knowing his salvation, it's done in the past. That reality only becomes theirs because God has done it for them. 
Our salvation is accomplished fact from the very day we are born. Long accomplished in the past. And yet, how often we live our lives as though our salvation is uncertain and still needing to be accomplished and that in some way, shape, or form, we are going to have to play some role in making that happen. But here, Paul makes it clear that we stand in a position, a condition of grace, where we only have arrived through God giving us access through the faith he created in us. And so he continues, we have nothing to boast about other than the glory of God and the hope we have in that glory. And see how Paul then turns the conversation on this often used New Testament fact to the process that God uses to deliver us from the daily travails that we bring upon ourselves by our decisions, our words, our attitudes, our actions. God sees and knows everything about us. He's at our side while it happens, observing, calculating, planning, as he has promised. Every single time we experience something that we would consider to be suffering, our God is not far away. He is right there with his promises, with his ready deliverance. And yet, at times, he chooses not to bring about his full deliverance immediately. No, God desires to grow us in new levels of perseverance, character, and hope by leading us to be dependent on his love and on the gift of his indwelling spirit, the continual presence of his Holy Spirit in our hearts and lives. And what is the continual work in our hearts, our minds, our souls that this Holy Spirit is intending to do for us and with us? To focus us continually focus us on Christ and to do that through the Word of God. So every single time we find ourselves as suffering, we have opportunity to turn away from our own devices of fixing the situation and turning to our Savior to listen to him, to speak to him, and to wait for his deliverance at the moment he determines that will always be perfect. He wants us to be always confident, always confident that something good, perhaps only eternally good, pertaining to the next life in our merely human viewpoint of things. But the way God sees it and the way God says it, it's what's best for us in the long term. And he will come at his chosen moment. 
You want proof of that, don't you? So do I. So does every human soul. So did the woman at the Samaritan well in our gospel lesson. As she listened to Jesus, as she shared circumstances of her life, there is so much there going on beneath the surface that Jesus, in very subtle ways and very overt ways, deals with this woman in that moment to help her understand exactly the same thing that Paul is pointing us towards here, that Jesus understands thirst. He understands how the challenges of our lives, the oppression, the mistakes, all of the many different ways you and I would label our lives as suffering, spend us to the point of thirst. Sometimes physical thirst. But more often, a thirst in our souls that at the very core of the realities of what we're dealing with, we know we don't have the big answers that we really need to quench that thirst. So Jesus was telling her about the water of life that will quench her thirst forever. And she clearly wants to know more because she's very thirsty. She's physically thirsty. She's out at a well at a time of day when nobody else would be there, and that's clearly because she's a social outcast. The way she's lived her life and the way she admits to administrating her life has made a mess of her relationships to the point where other people really don't want a whole lot to do with her. And she comes out to the well at a time of day when nobody else is there, and lo and behold, somebody is. And it's Jesus. And they have the most interesting of conversations in which Jesus helps her understand that the world has a viewpoint regarding the Messiah that God in his word doesn't have. And that there isn't any confusion from God's promises throughout history as to from what nation the Messiah will come and what he will come to do. And she points out the fact that the Israelites worship in Jerusalem She's not allowed to go there. That is the one place on the earth that God has declared that his name should be proclaimed, his saving love and grace to the world. But because she's a Samaritan, she's not even allowed to be there by the children of Israel. But don't hear accusation in her tone. She's just stating the facts. And in this marvelous give and take, Jesus works her to the point where she comes to confess her hope in the Messiah, the Christ, who will bring every answer to every question of our hearts and our souls and our minds, who will bring a quenching of the thirst that she was experiencing in that moment and you and I have experienced all too often. He shows how the best and only sure way to quench that thirst the thirst of any human soul is knowing who the Messiah is, knowing what that Messiah can do, and most importantly, how lasting and complete his deliverance truly is. And with the last paragraph of our Romans lesson, the Apostle Paul takes us straight there too. He tells you, you want to quench your thirst in a moment of pain and suffering? 
You want to ease the burden on your soul? Then go back to the very basics of salvation, the way that Jesus did with the Samaritan woman. And so Paul also reminds us here that nothing ever about you or me has ever made us worthy, has ever made us worth saving, or even able to lift one finger to save ourselves. And yet in that moment when we're completely powerless, truly worthless to the eternal God, when we've got nothing going for us, that's the moment God saved you and me. And Paul encourages you to look around and realize that there are a lot of people around you with a lot of ideas, a lot of know-how, a lot of advice, a lot of understanding of the world. But good luck finding one of them that's really going to spend themselves completely, even to the point of death, in rescuing you in any given moment because they see you as you are and as they are, equally broken and unable to really answer the biggest moments of life. And so, human beings tend to see each other as undeserving. But when we had absolutely no value to God, still powerless sinners all, Christ died for us. Notice how that Lenten focus keeps coming back to the crux of the matter. Paul doesn't say it here, but he will down the line. If God's willing to do that for you in the moment where you had nothing, absolutely nothing to offer you so that you will be part of his eternal kingdom, how could he ever be careless or callous about the needs of the moment in your suffering? You can be confident that anything he chooses for you to still experience beyond his ultimate permanent deliverance of taking you from this life to heaven, if you're still here, alive, breathing, and trusting, whatever you're experiencing, God is choosing through that moment to create perseverance, character, and hope. That is how God defines his love for you. But he wants you to understand that his love isn't just about paying for your sins, isn't just making you approved and ready to live with him in heaven forever. That's essential. It's vital. It's exceptionally important. But his love is all-encompassing in regard to your every reality, every moment of your life, every experience of life, every challenge, every loss, everything can be better than it would be if you only had human resources at your disposal, human answers from friends and family members and those who care about you. Every moment of life can be better when we are completely reliant and surrendered to God being our deliverance in that moment. That's what the references to perseverance, character, or hope in this section of Romans are all about. Daily life in this world can be so brutal in so many ways, but God continually gives us new opportunities 
to understand and experience his complete love and deliverance. A deliverance that does indeed begin with taking on our issues of death and sin. But a deliverance that never ends until every last drop of our eternal thirst is quenched by God's unrelenting love and care. It's an interesting choice for the season of Lent, this New Testament lesson. You can see how it's positioned between the Old Testament lesson and the psalm that references it of people turning away from God even though he had done so much for them in the immediate months and days leading up to that moment of physical thirst and how he answered them despite their rebellion. And the thirst of the woman at the well. We know that thirst so well. It pounds on us day by day. It causes us to make all kinds of choices and It causes so many other realities in our life, the loss of hope, the loss of perspective. But you and I have here a promise from an eternal God, a God who has loved us enough that he points us to the reality that we had nothing to offer, that we had no solution to our eternal predicament of any kind, And it is at that moment he saved us. And so he desires that we live with Lenten confidence throughout our days in that fact that he not only delivered us from sin and death, but in the moment of his perfect planning, his deliverance will be flawless from every last reality we deal with every day. Amen. Please stand. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen.